Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey there, this is the Chris Evans Show with Cinch, who don't just offer great quality cars, but also great quality service with a dedicated customer service team available seven days a week. Plus, there's a Cinch app, as if cinch.co.uk isn't enough. You can browse thousands of cars with the app, filter your searches, and buy your next car in just a few taps. The app is on Google Play and App Store. You can search, shop, and pay for your next car all in the Cinch app. It's so easy, it couldn't be easier. And of course, you get all the same benefits like free home delivery and a 14-day money-back guarantee no questions asked other than where would you like the money sending back try it out download the cinch app today Welcome to the show. Vasos is here. Howdy. And Rachel's here. Greetings. And people who listen to the podcast will know why I do this bit now. Because <laughs> <laughs> that's how the podcast starts. We have a brand new podcast every day. It's called the Chris Evans Show for 10 o'clock. We're getting podcast. Tell us about our guest today. First of all, tell us about Caitlin Moran, Rachel. She is an incredible author, journalist. I would go so far as to call her an oracle of our time. Mm-hmm. She has written this book called... What about men? Mm. And all I want to say to her is, as a mother of three boys, thank you. Thank you. (laughs) I know. As a bloke, I would also like to say thank you for writing about us and informing me as a man more about men, um, things that I didn't know. That's very, very, very helpful. It's brilliant. Also on the show today, team principal of Red Bull, Christian Horner. Tell us about Christian Vassos. Well, he's quite good at his job. Mm. He runs the Red Bull Formula One team. There have been nine races so far this season Uh and Red Bull have done quite well. They've won, let's see, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, oh, nine, nine of them. All of them. And they're miles clear, in the obviously, in the Formula One uh, Constructors and Drivers Championships. And it's the British Grand Prix this weekend. It's and he not. joins us live from that there, Silverstone. Get out of here. That is unbelievable. I mean, you know, um, Christian is very good at his job. Um, and the main part of his job is getting Adrian Newey not to leave, which yeah. he's very, very good at. <laughs> Excellent. Now, is he live from Silverstone or is he live from his house, which is next to Silverstone? I wonder. Which is handy, isn't it? Mm. That's very handy. Yeah. If, you, if you're having trouble or you're worried about getting to Silverstone on Sunday and you have tickets, go and stay with Christian tonight and tomorrow. Mm-hmm. You can walk there with him in yeah, the morning. Perfect. Yeah, of course. On his regular um, uh, annual Silverstone Formula One, British Formula One Grand Prix commute. Hayley Atwell's on the show today as well. Hayley Atwell, who is in the biggest film in the world, and it's not even out yet. It's already the biggest film in the world. It's got a worldwide release next week, and it's the brand new Mission Impossible film. Tell me about Hayley, please, Rachel. Hayley is a British American actor and as you said she is in the new Mission Impossible movie she is a pickpocket called Grace (laughs) who is described as a destructive force of nature whose loyalties are somewhat ambiguous yeah she's pesky (laughs) in it Hugo Richmond's on the show today Uh, tell us about Charles March please Vassal well he lives in a in a nice house, very big house in the country, <laughs> and in a sort of little sleepy corner of Sussex. Very beautiful. Oh. And then um, 
Several weekends a year, including mm. next weekend, he invites about a quarter of a million people right. to his house and the sleepy corner of Sussex yeah. becomes a little bit more vibrant and va va yeah, The got, festival of speed is in air, his garden. He's got his own airfield. Yeah. He's got his own cricket pitch. Yeah. He's got his own horse racing course, mm. which is absolutely massive because they're really big, those yeah. things. Um, he's got his own golf course. Did I mention golf course? Mm. No. No, he's got a golf right. course. Golf, um, cricket, horse racing. He's, he's got, got his a own, tennis courts. He's got many tennis courts. Mm. He has a racing track. Yeah, motor racing, motor racing, racing track. track. For um, actual cars. Yeah, he has a hill climb. Mm. Mm. Yeah, and um, yeah, that, that's about it. Yeah. Apart from that. He's got a swimming pool. <laughs> apart from that, he's hoping to win the Euromillions tonight. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, he's on the show later. All those lovely people on this show. You're listening to the Virgin Radio Show, the Chris Evans Show with our pals at Cinch. So, a gorgeous day today over the whole of the UK. Pretty nice over the weekend. A bit showery, a bit rainy, but still very, very warm. Amazing things happening this weekend. The weekend demonstrates how he got his name, playing the London Stadium on both Friday and Saturday. Jai Whitehall settling down for the night in Cardiff on Sunday. Go nuts this Saturday with the National Chocolate and Almonds Day celebrations. Heather Knight's England look to knock it out the park once more against the Aussies this Saturday at Lords from 6 o'clock. I'm going to be watching that. I can't wait for that. If you can get a ticket for that, you should go. George Ezra's bringing a slice of paradise to Glasgow this weekend at the Transmit Festival. Plenty of splashing time to be had at the Henley Swim Festival. Pulp this Sunday, playing in Scarborough. The Tour de France um, cracks on. Um, Clapham Common, if you're still craving the part life, meet all the people at Clapham Common this Sunday for a charity water fight. Billy Jelbury, Springsteen, British Summertime in Hyde Park. Blur at Wembley Stadium on Sunday. Now, this weekend, getting you in the mood for next weekend, the Grand Prix in particular, getting in this mood for what, Vassos? Our next guest is inviting 200,000 people to his place and he's still finding time to talk to us. The Goodwood Festival of Speed kicks off next Thursday with all the cars and all the stuff making a sleepy slice of Sussex sizzle. It's great, and that's no fluke because of the Duke of Richmond, Charles March. Good morning, Charles. Right. <laughs> How, Hi, are you Chris, morning. How are you doing? I'm very good, thank you. Very good. Very busy. Lots going on outside. I can see it out of the window at the moment, but no, we're really good. OK, so the build is underway. Tell us about the build this year and the content that's going to be lighting up the track next weekend on the South Coast. No, the build is, uh, we've been building for about two months already. It's, it's bigger than ever. It's our 30th anniversary, basically. So the biggest event we've ever put on. We've got a fantastic lineup. I think it's going to be absolutely gripping. We've got, following the Grand Prix, obviously, this weekend, we've got all the, so many of the F1 teams. We're doing a big focus on Sebastian Vettel as our kind of stunt from the past. And um, uh, we've got all the MotoGP teams coming, which we haven't ever had before, because there's always been a clash before. So we're looking at world champion. Banier's going to be here. We've got something like six teams, most of the riders. Never never seen so many uh, MotoGP riders all together in one place. So that's going to be epic. Porsche's 75th anniversary, biggest Porsche party in the world this this uh, coming weekend. And, um, and also 60 years of McLaren. So we've got some really, really exciting and big plans. Wow. Um, how much of a Porsche guy have you been, Charles? I've always been. I'm. I'm always been a big Porsche fan. Yeah, I, lo I love them all. Yeah. <laughs> um, any particular favourites? Oh God, I've driven a 9083 up the hill a few times. That's my favourite. That's a. That's a. That's a wonderful thing. And actually, knowing what a Ferrari fan you are, Chris, mm -hmm. uh, we're going to have the Ferrari Le Mans car here, the winning car here, the 499. Nice. So that'll be with the drivers. They'll be here too. Yeah, I've so, cro I've crossed the floor. I've crossed the house. I've gone to Porsche now. 
Uh, have you? Yeah, <laughs> lovely 1972 thing that hopefully you let me park around the back of yours next Sunday. Um, I think that's a done deal. Well, I think there'll be more great Porsches in the world in one place uh, next weekend than ever, ever, you know, than ever before. So we're pretty excited about that. And our big display in front of the house will be Porsche. All right. Porsche too, so. um, it all kicks off on Thursday. You've only got tickets left for Thursday. Is that right? Yeah, we've been absolutely, it's been a massive sellout. Yeah, just a few left for Thursday. So we hope everyone's going to get here and have a fabulous weekend. And if you need a ticket, yeah, get on, get on, uh, get on, get online fast. Okay, at Goodwood House, as simple as that, at Goodwood House, tickets are limited to Thursday. Uh, there might be some resales of weekend tickets, I don't know. But the, if there are, if there are yeah. any coming up, they will pop up on that website, won't they? We always get tickets back. We always get tickets back, actually, at the last minute. So it's always worth looking. Cool. And will you be kicking off, um, do, you have, do you have the cricket match for Festival Speed? or is that just the revival no cricket match for revival revival of course yeah <laughs> all right yeah. <laughs> um seb vettel you're letting him drive some cars but um they're a special category of cars yes well sebastian's only interested in driving synthetically fueled cars right so um that's you know and that's happening more and more we've also got a big big ev content here as well and all future fuels and our whole future lab content so firstly looks very very much to the future and um and seb's only keen to drive those cars so he's driving his um He's driving his Williams, the the, the Mansell Williams, uh, and that that that's on synthetic, and um, he's driving uh, the his Aston Martin McLaren, the MP48, that's on synthetic as well. So that'd be pretty sensational. All right, so tickets for Thursday. Thursday's full on though, isn't it? It's just like the other days. Thursday's full on. Yeah, it's a bit more for manufacturer day, a few more production cars. Um, so it's a slightly more of an enthusiast day, but yeah, no, it's a great day, and it's a, a little bit quieter. All right, mate. It's great to talk to you, Charles. Are you silver standing this weekend? I'm sadly not yet. Yeah, no, I'm too busy here. <laughs> <laughs> All right. He does most of the manual labour himself. He puts up Sorry? most... You, you do most of the manual labour yourself, don't you? <laughs> yeah, I'm here with a paintbrush, yeah. <laughs> All right. Uh, great to talk to you. Duke Richmond, Festival of Speed. It's one of the greatest motoring events in the world. It's the biggest party of Porsches you will ever see. Other great um, anniversaries this year include, of course... 100 years of Aston Martin, 75 years of Corvette, all featured there. Tickets available just for Thursday at Goodwood House. Ruben says, hello, Chris Vassrach and the team. Please can have a beep for the Coopers. Yeah, baba. They're on the road and will be joining us in French France tomorrow. Excellent. Uh, my friends the weekend says, Mary, Mary, steady on here. You're going to get me in trouble. You know, you're being naughty. You're being pesky. My sense of the week was getting invited to Silverstone this weekend. I'll be cheering on Lewis all the way. Sorry, Christian. Well, I can apologise to him in person, I suppose. Right, Vassas, over to you. He's the man who pushes Verstappen to the max. And this weekend at Silverstone will be no different. The British Grand Prix chequered flag is ironed and ready with Red Bull maintaining their perfect record of winning every race this season. So please welcome the always Formula Wonderful Christian Horner. Good morning, Christian. Good morning. <laughs> Good morning, Christian. So you look like you're in a crash helmet shop. Whereabouts are you? I can see you on Zoom. I'm, I'm still at home at the moment, so I live about 10 minutes from Silverstone. So, uh, so yeah, heading up shortly. So what's that display behind you then? Well, there's a display. We've got, well, I've got a few of them. There's, uh, there's one of Max's. There's one of Sebastian Vettel's. Daniel Ricciardo, Checo up there. So there's even one of mine. Do they know you've got them? No. <laughs> So Max might need his laser. <laughs> and there's a couple of spaces on the bottom shelf there. Um, what are they waiting yeah, yeah. for? What are they waiting yeah, for? Waiting, waiting for a few from this year as well, hopefully. So, um, right. 
So yeah, we'll see. What's that car to your left? Is it is that a Ferrari F50, an old F50 there? Or is that Maserati? Uh, I, think, I, think, I think it's an old Van is it? Okay, well, yeah. cool. Um, so there you are. You, you've got your kit on. You're ready to go. Um, you only live 10 minutes away from the circuit. That's the handiest commute of the year, I would imagine. Yeah, it makes life life easy. <laughs> so uh, so we know all the back routes, all the fields to go through. So, uh, yeah, yeah, we'll get in. Have you ever been tempted to arrive on horseback? <laughs> Come on, that would I be funny. The, the, the amount of fans there this weekend, I came through Silverstone yesterday. I've never seen it so busy. Yeah. Unbelievable. They say it's a record crowd. Almost half a million people attending Silverstone. What's so special about the British Grand Prix, Christian? Well, look, I mean, the fact is 10 minutes from my house. I mean, that's, that's the best <laughs> thing about it. But um, look, I mean, I mean, the fans, the crowd are amazing. And it's, it's you know, it's it's unofficially our home race. We're, we're based just, um, you know, 15, 20 miles up the road in Milton Keynes. So uh, it's a big one for us. It is a big one for you. I mean, back to back though now, uh, home from home, Austria last week and the, and the British uh, Grand Prix Silverstone. I mean, that is that is where you live, isn't it? That is your holiday home and your 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 sort of permanent residence. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we've uh, we've got the menagerie of animals here. I've been out and fed the donkeys this morning and everything, so uh, <laughs> everyone's ready to go. All right, so um, it's Friday morning. It's different because you're at home and you're very close um, to, to where you're going to be over the weekend uh, when it comes to the British Grand Prix. But typically, um, what is the team principle of Red Bull's day on a Friday before a Grand Prix weekend? Look, it's flat out from the moment I, I get there. There's there's meetings. There's there's my day is pretty much planned out. My uh, my assistant doesn't leave me much room in the day. So um, you know, between briefings, meetings, commercial stuff, sponsor stuff. And because it's British Grand Prix, it'll be uh, be busier than ever. What's the best, um, you know, the, the commercial partners you're involved in, as far as liveries on the car is concerned, that's one thing. What about, like, stuff? So, you, you know, you do a deal with a company and then they send you some of their stuff. That happens to us here. You know, you go, you go OK, we've done the business and then they send you some of their merch. Um, yeah. what's, the, what's the best deal for that around Red Bull at the moment? Well, obviously, if the tax man's listening, we need to be a little bit uh, careful, careful with that. But um, look, we got some great sponsors. We have got great partners, you know, from from Tag Heuer to uh, you know Castor, the clothing company. Um, yeah, you know, we got uh, you, you know so many, so many great. You can see them. Look, there, there they all are. Yeah. So you chimed in with Tag Heuer straight away, which was the answer I was looking for, to be honest. Right. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> Right, so Max hasn't lost... Well, Red Bull haven't lost a Grand Prix this year. Uh, Max is awesome. Of course he is. Uh, what's going on with Checo that Max is doing that Checo has yet to do? Are the cars different is what I want to know. Are the Red Bull cars actually different? No, they're absolutely identical. So uh, uh, other than where they have the pedals in the car and the, and the seat, the rest of it is all absolutely identical. So, you know, Checo, he, he's had a bit of a rough run on Saturday's the last few races, but he had a good race on Sunday in Austria. And I think that hopefully that's given him a bunch of confidence. Yeah. Cool. Super cool. Um, I hear, well, I don't hear, I know Brad Pitt's going to be around this weekend. Will you be involved with Brad Pitt? Um, look, they're, they're making a, a load of filming. They start filming this weekend. So they're, apparently they're going to be on the grid. Um, <laughs> and, and my my worry yes. is, you know, Brad could be leading into turn one if we're not if we're not careful if they don't get the timings right on this. So, um, so no, it's great. It looks great that they're making a movie about Formula One. Um, you know, I've had my hair and makeup done this morning, especially, and so uh, so yeah, we're all, we're all, we're all looking forward to seeing them. You know, getting involved. 
Christian, you're not an unhandsome man, it has to be said. But unfortunately, we're talking about Brad Pitt here. He's 59. It's not fair on the rest of us. Rachel, come on, tell us about Brad. He's 59 years old. Have you seen him? Brad? Yes. Yes, he obviously, you know, he's committed to the wash. Yeah, he has this routine. Christian, listen to this. I, I got a morning wash. Yeah. I do my serum. Uh-huh. I do my day cream, yep. and I'm done. I'm out the door. And then at night, I do my little wash. I am committed to the, to the wash. I do my serum, and I do the night cream. Done. Have you met him? Do you know him? Yeah, do you know what? I, I met him in Austin last year and we were, it, he was talking about this film and he was saying, what are, what are drivers like? You know, what are they really like? And I said, uh, well, I suppose they're a bit like, you know, actors. They're all a bit insecure and a bit needy. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and he said, they're exactly like us. <laughs> That's a great answer and it's a great repost from him. That's so cool. Two, two blokes who've been through all the BS and are just telling it like it is. I love that. Who else Who else might be coming? What other faces could we expect at the British Grand Prix, do you know? Well, we've, got a, we've got a few coming. I think um, uh, Tom Cruise is supposed to be there. You know, he's meeting his, his lookalike Checo. Um, yeah. So uh, who else? We might have Tyson Fury on Sunday. Um, uh, we've got Beth Mead coming from the Lionesses, which is going to be great to have her with us. Jerry's getting very excited about that. Um, so uh, we've got, uh, I think we've got Ant coming as well, of Ant and Deck on Saturday. So, yeah, we've got all, all the big names in the house. Cool, man. And so uh, you have your party afterwards at yours, um, usual barbecue with the gang? Well, look, it depends on the result and the weather. But, um, yeah, look, we usually do a bit of karaoke, get Get everybody a bit involved, so uh, we'll see. We'll see how it goes. All right. Anything else you'd like to say to the F1 fans listening today? Loads of them listening, or loads of them already there. We've had loads of texts this morning. What do you want to say? Well, look, I think it's going to be an incredible weekend. It's going to be, be uh, you know, Silverstone is one of the best tracks on the calendar. It's it's fast, it's bumpy, it's it's one of the big challenges for the drivers. So have a great weekend. And uh, look, I'm, I apologise to all the Lewis fans, but I just hope we can keep this roll of wins going. Oh, I think you will. Um, you know, we all need luck, but I think uh, your odds on. I think the bookies may have stopped taking bets. No one wants to know, is Max going to retire early from F1, maybe before he's 25? And is he going to go off and try and be the most successful driver in all um, different uh, disciplines within the sport? Is that going to happen? He's very worried about him leaving Formula One. Look, if he retires before he's 25, that means he's stopping this weekend. So um, <laughs> I hope not. I, look, Max uh, Max still enjoys. He's an out-and-out racer. Yeah. He just wants to. He doesn't like, you know, all the, the razzmatazz that goes with it. And uh, I don't think retirement's on the cards anytime soon, but I don't think he'll be here when he's when he's 40. <laughs> That's such a non-answer. I love it. Um, yeah. I'm going to ask you another question that you do want to answer. If you could sign, up, sign one other driver from Sunday's grid, not Checo, who might it be? From Sunday's grid? Yeah. Uh, Nigel Mansell, if he's there for sure. <laughs> Because he's going to be on the grid. Very good. Well done. Well dodged. Uh, Christian Horner, live from Silverstone. Not the track, but his home, which is around the corner from his track, which is why it's very handy to stay with him over this weekend. Good luck to everybody um, going to Silverstone this weekend. And um, let's have a safe, fantastic, exciting Formula One. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. 
$45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. When you want your favorite 80s songs to lift your mood, play Virgin Radio 80s Plus. DAB Digital Radio, on the app, on your smart speaker, and at virginradio80splus.co.uk. Love Chris Evans, love the 80s. Virgin Radio. 80s Plus. Vas is over to you. She taught us how to build a girl and how to be a woman, and now she's bucking the trend. Her new book, What About Men, is just out this week. So please welcome someone about to gain a whole new clan of superfan. It's Catelyn Moran. Good morning, Catelyn. Good morning, hello. So you're a big fan of The Boss, aren't we all? God, who would not love The Boss? He's the perfection of mankind. So you saw him at Glastonbury. Yes, with a halo of steam <laughs> coming off his body. He played for three hours. People were like holding up bits of cardboards with the crests on and he'd go yeah okay let's do that and because he's amazing he could just turn around and start playing any song um three hours yeah it's at least three hours isn't it it's he can't do less than three hours once wow. he gets on stage well there's a lot of boss he's got a lot of boss to get maybe out. people just told him when he was little that that's minimum otherwise you get arrested or, or exiled and nobody's ever told him differently yeah, uh, he played in hyde park last night ozzy jane was there our very own ozzy jane three hours of the boss oh my word one of the greatest gigs i've ever been to Billy Joel plays Hyde Park tonight. Do you know why he plays Hyde Park tonight? To give Hyde Park a rest <laughs> before the boss, Bruce, plays there again tomorrow. You're blurring tomorrow. I'm blurring tomorrow, yes. Wow. Hard choice, though. Boss or blur, but ultimately blur. I yeah, I, interesting. Yeah, I think so. Blur going to be... I think they're going to be on fire. They've played some warm-up gigs. They're playing Wembley Stadium Saturday and Sunday. Right, this book of yours, What About Men? What About Men? Has it been the most frequently asked question in your Q&A sessions with women over the last few years? Pretty much, yeah. And for the first five years, I was like, I don't care. Like, I've chosen to specialise in women and girls. That's my thing. It would be the ultimate irony of feminism, would it not, if women had to solve the problems of women and then solve the problems of men? But then there was an event a couple of years ago I was doing International Women's Day and uh, in a college, half boys, half girls, 15, 16, and thought we were there to talk about the problems of women and girls. And the boys kind of hijacked it. And they were like, no, we don't want to talk about the problems of women and girls. It's harder for men now than it is for women. Women are winning and boys are losing. Like, feminism has gone too far. And they were angry, really angry. And when you meet people who are angry, they are actually scared because anger is fear just brought to the boil. Yeah. And I was like, why are boys scared of girls and what's happening to them? Why do they feel like they're losing? And I was like, I just cancelled my next project. I was like, this is what we need to write about now. I suddenly realised we haven't actually talked about men and boys in my lifetime. Right, so what about men? Is it not, though, a book that's already been written by your partner? He wrote about a very specific childhood in Birmingham, which is amazing. Right. I, I love that you know about it. And it's a very beautiful book. He's the child of immigrants in Birmingham. He was in a chip shop and he had to learn how to be British by watching Top of the Pops, which sometimes <laughs> gave him amazing role models for being a boy and a man. But and sometimes, sometimes maybe not. Yeah, kind of difficult to be Duran Duran when you're six in a playground in Birmingham. Yeah. So you you have you did talk to lots of men. I mean, it starts with you talking to a group of, of men. Um, were they organised? Were they assembled? Or were you were you roving like Esther Ranson style on the streets? Tootling around hither and yon and using social media a lot as well and when the first time I went on social media and said men we talk a lot about the problems of women how about the problems of men 
insane response. Like it went on for three weeks. We got 10,000 replies. It was picked up as a news story around the world. What was heartbreaking was that the first response from a lot of them was, is this a trick? Is this a feminist trick? If we start talking about our problems of men, are you as women going to turn around and go, ha ha, you haven't got any problems at all, tricked you. <laughs> and I was like, no, I genuinely, which again, it sort of sounded alarm bells for me that men are not used to being asked honestly about yeah. their problems and expected to answer. And we got some amazing replies. One of them broke my heart. One man went, we never get given flowers. And at first I was like, well, that's not that much of a problem. Like, you know, stiff up a lip, crack on. But then I was like, well, that is weird, right? Like flowers just grow. And but suddenly they're gendered and only half the population can get flowers and the other half aren't supposed to want beautiful things. So I was retweeting all these answers and one guy the next day went, I saw you saying about men not getting flowers. I went to see my 94-year-old dad and I gave him some sunflowers because I know they're his favourite flowers and he burst into tears oh and my went, goodness I've me. never had flowers. So you lot, whilst I was playing the boss, because... I might as well say, because I said it off the air, this, the speakers in the studio face me. So yeah. I just think that everybody's hearing the music as loud. And when we put... Most of the songs we play, I turn them up like because I think they're great songs. But we couldn't have, I couldn't have had the boss on there any louder. I'm thinking, how are they still talking? Then I realised that I'm basically the audience and you were on stage yeah. from, a, from a monitor point of view. And you were deep in conversation about something. What were you talking about? Oh, parenting boys, yeah. wasn't it? I was saying, it's all as in a there, mum yes. of three boys who are 10, 12 and 14, I just want to say thank you for this book. <laughs> because this book is amazing. And this book... From me, and we have read a lot of books about parenting and children. So we do. You know, we've covered a lot, we've done a lot of the research. To me, this book is the book that will be the the gateway into the conversations that I want to have with my children. Oh, thank so you. So I've read it. I've, my husband's already read a couple of the chapters, which I was like, you need, no, you need to read this one immediately now. Did you chapter recommend? Chapter seven. <laughs> yes. And chapter fingers seven. out, by the chapter way. Fingers seven, been out for the sorry. whole of this. Yeah. <laughs> and, um, and our 14 year old will be reading this when I get it home this weekend, and we will be having Whether a lot he likes of conversations. It or not. Conversations that I've already tried to have with him and broached with him but have kind of walked away after thinking I'm not sure that we had that conversation right. this book is going to enable those conversations so thank you okay well oh, thank man. you for confirming that Catelyn has helped uh, how has she helped how did you go about trying to help well I figured that well so first of all there's some statistics 80% of books are bought by women and secondly I realized when I went into a bookshop there's in every bookshop there's a section of women there's a women's section self-help books books about every phase of our lives there is no section called the men's section. We just don't really write about men. There's academic stuff and there's things about one subject, but a book that covers all of men's lives and every problem they may have, we just don't write books about men. We don't see them as a separate class in the way we do women. And uh, so I, I wrote the book thinking, okay, women are going to buy this and half the chapters are chapters they'll want to show their husbands and go, this is about you. And the other half are chapters <laughs> that they'll show to their teenage sons and go, this is... about you. Because, <laughs> because a lot of these are awkward subjects. You know, yeah. the stuff about sex and pornography and ageing and depression and mental health, but all as funny and warm as I can be but they're difficult conversations to start with people you're really close to and my job because I haven't got any other job is to try and find ways that you can kind of go well Catelyn says this mm. or she said this do you agree I want to start the conversation and that's and you said that I did so I'm, my job is done I yeah you started it and it then continued here you chimed in with something Vassos you've picked up on quite a good trick that um, my wife Caroline has also uh, we, we wanted to talk to our son who's now 17 Matthew about, about pornography actually and um you know, have you come across anything like... Or actually, it doesn't have to be that. It can be anything. Have you done something that maybe we could talk about? No. But if you 
frame it another way, you can absolutely tell. And the trick is always yeah. go, are your friends watching pornography? Yeah. Or have you got a naughty friend? Or is one of your friends depressed? Yeah, or is, or is one, one of your, your friends, friends vaping? Exactly, yeah. yeah. Are your friends vaping? Yeah. Then they will start talking about it. And when they talk about their friends, they're talking about themselves. Yeah. But kids don't want to tell you anything that might make you think mm. that they've let you down. But they'll talk about their friends. They'll grasp their friends up. And that's how you get into So interesting, isn't it? And when their friends come round, their friends... Um, sort of act and communicate like you wish your child could. Yes. And then your child goes the opposite way when their friends are around, maybe because they feel threatened or something like that. And I'm sure that as our kids go and visit other friends' houses and parents, they are the same thing. So maybe we should get together and we could do a bit of, you know, can you find, can you ask Myson about this when he comes to your house, please? That would work so well. Just, just that's what the WhatsApp group should be as well, yeah. shouldn't it? Just like, can you ask your kid about this? Yeah. And I'll well, ask... Would you like me to ask your children this weekend yes. when they have a sleepover? And by the way, I've already got a list for the next three sleepovers of our kids at your house. Divide and conquer parenting. Meanwhile, could you, could you just film my son when he's being non-monosyllabic so that I know that that version of him he's exists? Capable. Yeah. <laughs> So interesting. What is that about? You're so right. I mean, we must bear in mind that they've got 40% of their brain missing, not just yes. boys, but girls as well, because they're going through through puberty and all their grey matter, not all, 40% of their grey matter turns to white matter. And it, white matter doesn't do anything. Yeah. It's just waiting to be new grey matter. Well, also, I always feel sorry for, I still remember being a teenager and there is a basic unfairness that when you're with adults, they know so much more than you and they've done things and you're really aware when you're a wrong teenager that like you haven't done anything you've got no knowledge yeah. so if you start a conversation with an adult you're going to lose it like you, you don't really have the anecdotes you don't have the facts yeah. yeah and really big new legs and what do I do with these right? oh yeah. my gosh but that's why you become monosyllabic because you don't want to reveal that you don't actually know anything and yeah. you haven't been anywhere yeah. it's just easier to be sulky and look mysterious and cool instead so it's all in there it's all in this book we're talking with Catelyn Moran about what about men this book about men after writing all these books about women and going on tour and having talking to us about women you're already talking touring this one yes. how are you finding the response from the audience um because it's a whole well, it's not a whole new subject but it's yeah. you know you're prioritizing males over females this time around of course they always dovetail at some point and what are the what is the q a um response like compared to other oh tours? it's been amazing it's been super emotional we've got a lot of crying men there's sort of there's two or three bits that seem to make men cry there's how many men bit. are coming to these gigs um it's been about 50 50 like right. kind of like really surprisingly but like so there's one chapter where i surprisingly argue in favor of the male midlife crisis which is something that's usually seen and just laughed at you know just kind of always oh, bought a motorbike always oh, got an earring yeah. like i'm always behaving like a teenager well first of all when women have midlife crises and they go shirley valentine we're like you go girl that's amazing you're a queen and secondly, often men, um, uh, their first marriages fail and they have a second marriage. And then it's when they have their second set of children, they go, oh, I'm here for the kids this time around. Yeah. This time around, I've really enjoyed it. This time around, I was there for the feeds and the nappies and stuff. And I find that heartbreaking because the reason often they weren't there the first time around is because they were working too hard. We don't have paternity leave. When you're a young man with your first family, you don't have time to be with your family. You've just got to feel you've got to be out there earning your money. So when we talk about that, there are so many men in the audience just crying, going, yeah, that is what happened to me. I couldn't be there for my first family. Yeah, yeah. That's a societal problem. That's an economic problem that we need to look at. That's not fair that men have to go on to a second marriage before they can enjoy their kids. So that's been very emotional. There's and some nature involved in there as well, though, isn't there? I mean, socioeconomic, you know, and, and different things going on. But nature is involved in that as well, isn't it? We're supposed to go out and hunt and gather and yeah, things. Yeah, but, want, but we don't know yet, do we? Because we've, we've still lived in an economic and social system where kind of like you are supposed to be earning your money when you're a young man. Yeah, so, yeah. like, who would knows what would happen if we had equal paternity? So that's caused a big response. And the other one is there's so many people in education 
education uh, and in sports services with uh, kids who were just um, there's a whole chapter about Andrew Tate and sort of online sort of misogynist radicalisation and they're all just coming up to me going yeah it's every single school they're having to have talks with the staff about how to deal with it yeah. because his fans are so disruptive they're handing in homework to female teachers with make me a sandwich written on the bottom of it yeah. basically women shouldn't be teaching me they're asking male teachers do you let your wife go out on her own so whole schools are being disrupted by this this one man because we haven't talked about boys in the last 10 or 15 years very important we've had this brilliant upswell of feminism and talking about how great teenage girls and women are which is great but suddenly if you're a 15 year old boy it's all just been about the girls for the last 15 years and andrew tate's the only person going hey boys are okay bants Okay, Bants is in there. And by the way, for, for the first time in my life, I know how to spell it because you've spelled it out for us in capital letters, <laughs> B-A-N-T-Z. It's yeah. Bants, everybody. Um, obviously, Bants, we, we do Bants, don't we, Vass? Sometimes better than other times. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> and that's the risk with Bants. I mean, that's the thing. Why does Bants exist? What is it from your um, critical point of view? First of all, I love Bants. Yeah. I, I often want it? to get on the banter bus to Banterbury and be banter claws. Like, who does not want to be that person? But what I observed in Men and Boys is that it's often, it's Bants or nothing. So we've got lots of um, uh, case studies from boys. Just one boy just saying, you know, I went to university and in my first year I was so lonely. I felt often very suicidal and I would go to the pub every Friday with my friends but we would just banter about sport. Yeah. There was no way to get off the banter bus yeah. and ramp into a more emotional problem. Mm. And, you know, I love banter, but I think for a lot of young men, this kind of constantly being on and it's all got to be a joke yeah. is is terrible for their mental health. And we know that because there's a whole bunch of stats that I quote at the beginning of the book. Boys are most likely to be medicated at school for disruptive behaviour. They're more likely to be excluded from school. They're less likely to go to university. They make up the majority of the prison population, the homeless population. And suicide is still the leading cause of death for men under the age of 50. So that's, you know, that's that's a problem, a big emotional set of problems that we've got for men. And just 20% less banter and 20% more honesty and being yeah. able to say, I'm having a problem now, yeah. would genuinely save lives. And once the banter starts, it's hard to stop it, to right? be honest. That's the thing, isn't it? Especially, with, you know, if, and in the pub, not, nothing helps, nothing is helping here. Yeah. I mean, it's better than not talking and not meeting. Yeah. Anything's better than that. Uh, but um, it's funny, isn't it? Because you get the chance to turn right and you just go, oh, it's t- you turn left. Uh, somebody said yesterday, they said, um, it was Terry Pratchett, actually. It was a quote from Terry Pratchett. He says that the hard way is always going to be hard, but the easy way always ends up being so much harder. That's so true. It's such a great quote, isn't yeah. it? You know, you think it's a good idea at the time, but it's really not a good idea. You know, and we said the other day, didn't we? You know, everything that's really worth any while is on the other side of hard. Yeah. No, and you absolutely. just got to you got to find a way into hard. Yep, you just chisel go away. To do that thing of waking up in the morning, going, "Yes, I'm going to do the work right now." Yeah, that's a bit Jordan Peterson, though. No, oh well, there's a whole chapter about Jordan <laughs> I know Peterson there is, I know, well, but yeah. he does say, "Open your chest and and off you go." Yeah. Um, you do. Uh, this is great. Um, you do take us through Mark Wahlberg's daily routine. <laughs> How did you get your hands on that? Oh, it was it went viral a couple of years ago. It's brilliant, I, I, by I the know. way. It's terrifying. He wakes up, what is it? Half 10, two, 2.30. 2.30, wakes up, prays, yeah. then goes and does his first Praise workout. Prays more sleep or than much. Yes. <laughs> That's three breakfasts? Three breakfasts, yeah. yeah. One of which is essentially like a chicken Greek salad. Yes. Not a breakfast. Right, exactly. At 11am. Then goes mad. into a cryo chamber for his muscle mass to be repaired. Then there's golf. And then there's there's a section where it goes lunch slash business school slash family. Yeah. And that's all there is for his But the golf life. thing's really interesting. because he's school pick up. But he goes for half an hour. You can't play golf for half an hour. I was going to say I don't Must golf. Be on a simulator. Or it yeah. might be yeah. at the driving range. Or maybe it's, maybe it's, it's, it's crazy it's, golf. It's, it's, um, 
He's just got a cup and a stick. Yeah, or maybe it's a, a typo, and it's not golf, it's something else. Golf, or I don't know. <laughs> My son's got a new thing where he and his mates go and they play golf just at a, on a driving range or just, you know, and they, and they film themselves... And then they they hit the ball and it sort of skews off right. Hmm. But they put that sort of that graphic on that shows a perfect arc. No. <laughs> well, they say they say all this, but really they're watching pornography and vaping. Yeah, right, exactly. Let's just say we're off to go. We have told Dad we're going to the golf simulator again, and he's he talked about it on the radio. It's unbelievable how much yeah. BS he believes. Yeah. That's about that to But the thing with Mark Wahlberg's routine is, I went. There's, there's a whole chapter about men and their body image and stuff. And again, we've been so great in the last 15 years making women feel better about their bodies. The body positivity movement. There isn't a similar thing for boys and men. I went for a very long drunken lunch with the director of a massive superhero franchise, and he was talking about what the male actors have to do these days to be in these movies. He was going to to be bad enough for the women when they just basically couldn't eat for six months yeah. if they're in a movie but the men basically have the routines of olympic athletes well also they're doping as well yes and they're eating so much protein they're constantly yeah. constipated if there was a if there was doping tests in hollywood then everybody would, be, would not pass. everybody but i mean yeah. a lot of people would have issues there yeah and it's the routines and these men are in pain on the day you shoot you're not allowed to drink you've got to be dehydrated so your veins and muscles yeah. bulge um but the thing is that women in hollywood have been brilliant at taking the mickey out of these ridiculous beauty regimes like there's hundreds of actresses on the red carpet taking off their high-heeled shoes and throwing them across the room going these aren't comfortable but the male actors haven't yet started to learn uh, to they joke need to wear high heels more often so they can throw them off, throw them uh, off i them. love the, la the 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 last bit of the book is uh, 10 reasons why um, t 10 things that blokes don't have to put up with basically yes. um, or, or can't benefit from basically well, it's 10 reasons why it is actually easier to be a woman than a man That's I was right. like I'll, I'll, let, I'll allow this by the way yes. thank you such a gift <laughs> it's beautiful it's a great book where do we go from here Oh, thank you. Well, I mean, it, I really hope that anyone who needs it, this is the start of a... I mean, just the fact that you were saying that this meant that you could start talking to your teenage son 100%. about difficult things like porn. Because it's just learning to talk about being a boy in the same joyful, hopeful way that we've been talking playfully. about girls yeah. for the last 15 Play, get years. The, get the truth out there playfully, isn't it? Yeah. Start the conversation playfully. And Keep I, it light. Yeah, I really just because it's heavy doesn't mean it can't be light. I really love where you wrote... The idea that men and women are at war with each other, battling for supremacy, is a madness. Like siblings fighting in the back seat when we're all in the same car going to the same place. Right. Yeah, but who's, who's driving? <laughs> Our Lord Jesus Christ. There we go. Yeah, <laughs> hallelujah. What were you going to say, Rachel? I'm just thinking about it. I think Catelyn should be driving. Catelyn, thank you so much. My absolute pleasure. Thank you again. Okay, if you want to go and see Catelyn on a talking tour, there's a couple of tickets left. Penguin.co.uk for that. And the book, What About Men, is out now. All right. She starred in your favourite films and TV series and even hosts your favourite spy podcast. Now she's picking pockets and saving the world in the latest Mission Impossible Dead <laughs> Reckoning Part 1 out on Monday. So please join us as we all fall under the spell of Hayley Atwell. All right, Hayley. Hello, what an intro. Well, Thank my goodness you. Me, there's so much to talk about. <laughs> if we just really repeated good. our off-air conversation a bit slower, that would do us, <laughs> wouldn't it? Oh my goodness me. Congratulations. The reviews for the film are off the chain, man. I was so excited. My, I've had family and friends sending them to me. I'm like, wow, this is amazing. You know, we, this film is designed for the audiences on the biggest screen. Yeah. Four years in the making. So now we feel like we can deliver it in the hands where it really belongs. Yeah, so it's 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 immense. Yeah. Guardian, five stars. Telegraph, five stars. Sun, five stars. And that's just here in the UK. Tell us about your tour. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so we've been to, if I can remember correctly, I'm not really sure what time zone I'm in. London, Rome, Abu Dhabi, Korea, Sydney, New York on the 
weekend and then finish in Tokyo. Well remembered. Casually. Okay, I what I do is I do sneaky stuff, right? So mm-hmm. when somebody like you is coming on, and I know you've been doing these kind of interviews elsewhere, I watch those shows. So I've watched <laughs> you in Australia doing all your Australian interviews. <laughs> that, and they're brilliant, aren't they? The Aussie TV hosts and, and the people. So nice. they're, they're, they're so nice. They're so chill. They're so up. They're so chill. They're so funny. Um, I really like the way that they cut of their jib. So it's because of those guys I've got some great questions because basically I've just stolen theirs. Um, <laughs> uh, let's talk about, so first of all, how did you come on Tom Cruise's radar? Well, um, 10 years ago, I was in a play, The Pride, at Trafalgar Studios here in London. Yeah. And Chris McQuarrie, a long-time collaborator of Tom Cruise, came yeah. to see it, took me out for dinner and said, I love what you do on that stage. I want to find a character for you. And then six years later, I got the call from him saying that he and Tom were looking for a new person to come into the franchise. And the way that they work, and it was clear in the screen test, is that they don't have a character that they're looking for someone to fit into. They want, they find the actor they want to work with, yeah. who understands the process of this world, and then they'll collaborate and create the characters as you go along. So what that meant for me was that I just went, okay, well, I'll just try a ton of different things every day and see what sticks. Yeah. So for the longest time, didn't have a character name. I didn't know if she was going to be a villain, if she had any moral compass, who her allegiance would be to. And then that's made her sort of consistently inconsistent. <laughs> so there's a spontane- spontaneity about her, spontaneity, God, I can't even speak, that gives her that sort of freshness because I was literally sort of making up as I went along. Yeah. And that, that development, that sort of um, open-hearted, open-minded development continues throughout the film, doesn't it? Because you're always writing, you're always throwing lines at each other. Can you just tell us about the sequence of you and Tom in a Fiat 500, um, <laughs> 360 around the cobbles of Rome, um, being told by the Italian authorities, you can only do this once, you can have one take of this, but sneakily doing like a thousand. <laughs> and, and Tom is waiting for smoke to come off the tyres for you to deliver the spontaneous lines that he's throwing at you in the moment. Yeah. Is all that true? That's just an average Monday on Mission Impossible. I mean, they don't call it Mission that's a bit so- tricky. That sounds like Mission Impossible, just that one yeah, scene. Yeah, the plot is a metaphor for the making of. That's right. across the board. How funny is it that, of all things, Ethan Hunt is undermined by a Fiat 500? Yeah. I mean, how great is that? So when... I trained for about five months learning how to drift. So it was competent enough. So by the time I came onto location, I was safe to do it. You can drift in a car. Yeah. And then having Tom handcuffed to me in the passenger seat. Now, the passenger seat is somewhere that literally and metaphorically Tom Cruise doesn't really want to be. <laughs> and <laughs> and good, so, good point well made. So the responsibility of getting it right with all the pressure, I had to be like the eye of the storm, just right. really calm and focused. But there would be times when we'd have, you know, three cameras on the windscreen. So my vision was impaired. Um, we'd be, I'd be drifting and doing donuts. And then he'd be saying lines to me, but I would have to work out whether it was Tom telling Haley, slow down, like something serious had happened, yeah. or whether he was saying it to me as his character, or he was saying it to me to suggest that's a line for my character to say. Right. And that's why you've got my performance just going, what is happening? And going, oh, we're on fire. You know, having to just respond in the moment. And yeah, it was... Yeah. It was great fun. You know, there's a there's a moment in the car, the Fiat 500, where on action, uh, t- Tom actually crashed it immediately because it has a mind of its own. Yeah, it's yeah. so such a dangerous little beast. We nicknamed it Trixie. And he, we stopped and he just went, well, I guess that's, uh, that's the end of the shooting day for today. And and it's ended up being in the film because it's it was such a fun, funny spontaneous moment you know nothing got damaged everyone was safe so we're like this is this is great let's use it oh my goodness me and there's so many of those and because you've been together with tom now for four years um you know and i presume you're in the second 
part of this film because it's the two parts, but I don't know because I haven't seen the, the second film. And when's that going to be out? Do we know? Is it... Second film's next summer. So, right, yeah. so you're, and you're still shooting a bits, bits and bobs of oh, it. Oh, yeah, big time, yeah. Okay, that's great. That's, 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 <laughs> so, so he nailed 2022 with Top Gun. He's nailed 2023 with part one. He's got 2024 sorted out with part um, two. And he was asked on the, one of the Australian shows, he was asked about his birthday, which was last week, wasn't it? Yeah. Um, you know, what do, what do you normally do for your birthday? And he says, well, I do this because I just love movies. Mm. So he's either watching them, he's in them, he's writing them, he's casting one. That's what he does. That's how he lives his life. Totally. He loves it so much. So you, not only are you preparing, uh, presumably, for film, film number two, but you have to, you've bought him several birthday presents mm-hmm. now because you've been with him for several birthdays. <laughs> what does somebody buy Tom Cruise? Once you might get away with it. How, how does that ro- continue to roll out, that well, particular I'm gonna, challenge? I'm going to probably sound sort of like whimsical here, but mm. so the first present that I bought him, I'd actually had a friend, an amazing artist called Rufus Jared Wright, and he had he's a beautiful illustrator and calligrapher. So yeah. all the places that we filmed... I had him kind of create a map of the Mission Impossible world. And I had a map in the middle and all these kind of like little lines going off uh, and then sort of illustrations of, you know, the Fiat 500, the trees <laughs> down the Imperiali, little in-jokes that we had, the foods that we ate. And so it became the sort of map of our travels together. And then his 60th birthday last year, he said, no, no presents. 60th? Just come and dance your socks off. What? So... Us dancing late into the night was basically our, our gift to him. Although he won, he won a dance competition that night with a jazz split, which was like, well, it's my just not fair, we'll go home it? now. It's not, he does all it's his own splits. Like, come on, <laughs> <laughs> sixty-one. Yeah, Brad Pitt fifty-nine, Tom Cruise sixty-one. It's not fair. I mean, together, I don't know if you're you, 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 going to smash at me, but that's one hundred and twenty exactly between them. It's just not fair. <laughs> um, super cool, super cool, super cool. So your character, Grace. So she is a pickpocket for hire, if you like. So you can hire a, you can hire hit men, but you can also hire pickpocket ladies to do mm. dastardly things. Uh, of course, he is Mr. Mission Impossible himself. Your characters meet first of all in an airport. Is that right? Yeah, that's right. She's um, she's been sent to pick his pocket. She yep. doesn't know who he is, and mm-hmm. you learn quickly that Grace is someone who just she's a lone wolf. She's a strictly single O in the spy world that yeah. someone just, you know, doesn't have a kind of a loyalty to or allegiance to anyone or anywhere. Yeah. She just takes the commission and goes uh, and doesn't question who it's for, uh, or, you know. So she gets sort of embroiled into this world of Ethan Hunt, who, because he's a pickpocket, she, when she pickpockets him, <laughs> he then pickpockets her back. <laughs> and you're immediately stuck in this cat and mouse yeah. chase. And in some ways, it ends up. I feel like it was Hayley Atwell trying to get out of a Mission Impossible franchise. It's Grace trying to duck and dive him the whole time, and he's just going, "Trust me, I'm one of the good guys." And I'm going, "No, I don't trust you. I don't know who you are." And him having to handcuff himself to my character so she just stays in one place. Yeah. So and the, yeah. the looming threat here, the sort of ethereal threat, is the AI mm. thing. And you know, obviously, AI has, has been at the forefront of lots of um, sort of digital goss and digital digital chat for the last few years but never more so than the last six months however you obviously the script for this was written four years ago how is it that people who make right plays right films right books seem to get ahead of the curve because this couldn't have landed better now if you could write a film now you'd write it about this totally yeah it's amazing what it's chris mcquarrie and eric jenderson who wrote this part of the script too they're like they're kind of just annoyingly 
smart. They're on it. And they're on it. Oh. They're, they're, they hit that sort of hate those on it people, don't you? zeitgeisty. Yeah, it's disgusting. It's outrageous. So, so, so they knew that we were going to talk, be talking about this. The world was going to be talking about this when their film was out. They knew that four years ago. <laughs> How did they know that? That, to me, is more suspicious than the AI. Are they, do these really exist, these people? And so AI is the looming threat here, isn't it? And so... Um, it begins, the, there's a massive pre-title sequence, not dissimilar to the last Bond film. There's, it's quite substantial, isn't it? You forget that the titles haven't happened and the titles kick in. Mm -hmm. And that's, to, I mean, how much do you want to say about the submarine and things? How much do we say about it? How much do we say? I know, well, um, we, I mean, that, that came in late into the story of, in terms of my filming of it. So I yeah. was sort of didn't, wasn't really sure what was happening as we were going along. Yeah. But um, yeah, there's, the, the, main, the main thing about Mission Impossible is that they have these incredible set pieces. You yeah. have, yes, there's a submarine in there there's this car chase there there's is this train, train the, sequence the tra the relentless by the way stand train. by for the train sequence everyone <laughs> it's quite intense our bonding bond again there was there was one moment where the carriage one of the train carriages goes from horizontal to vertical in six seconds and tom and i have to run up the the, the length of it on a steep incline and grab onto something before we're then hanging over a ravine and we've done it about six times and tom kind of looked at me because he's very aware tom he wants to make sure everyone's okay and he's like are you okay and i just remember going um i don't know i don't i don't even <laughs> to be, to be know honest what i tom, don't know yeah i've got no idea mate it's really nice working with you really are you amazing <laughs> you're a master of the art but right now i'm not sure <laughs> and he went oh i think you have adrenal fatigue and i'm like sure yeah, probably. Well, he would know. And he would know. And then he went, he I, I can see what's happening. You're losing colour in your face and your, your energy's dropping. I'm like, mm-hmm. And he went, do you need some chocolate? And I went, yes! <laughs> yes! That's exactly what... Yeah. When do we and not need chocolate? And Sex in the City box set, please. <laughs> <laughs> and he presented this beautiful box of chocolates out of what seemingly thin air and gave it to me. And I was like, oh! Basically the new milk tray man. He's... Yeah. Oh, my God. That's what he is. He That's really exactly is. what I thought. He really is. And I was able to run up that steep incline. <laughs> So I've been watching a lot of the makings of. So we were um, very lucky to be gifted a preview screening uh, on Tuesday of this new Mission Impossible film, Dead Reckoning Part One. Badaladam. But also I've been watching a lot of the um, a lot of the makings of. Especially there's the there's one stunt and it's out there, so I'm not spoiling anything. There's there's one particular stunt where Ethan is on a motorbike and he rides along the ridgeway and then something happens. And you can watch the making of the film. Um, and it, and you know Tom's given it his blessing because he narrates this. You know the scaffolding, the, the, and the fact that he really does do all this stuff himself, mm. and it's now got to the point where oh, Tom Cruise does his, does all his own stunts. Well, no, now he doesn't because it's sort of only he can do them. Yeah, it's the most because he has so stunt. much experience now doing. Them. Yeah, exactly. He's been doing it for forty years now. You know, he's got his helicopter pilot license, and he he trains. He's a like professional athlete in that he's always training every single morning. Yeah, and. That's also involving making sure that he's up to date with all the skills that he needs and wants to learn for the next stunts that he's going to do. Yeah. So it's it's really impressive to see that level of dedication, and he loves it. You know, that day one of filming in Norway, he he jumped off the cliff off the motorbike. That was day one. I know, but he'd been training for it for ages here in England. Yeah, that's right. Because yeah. they had the cranes. I've seen all the. It's brilliant. Can I just say a bit about it? Am yeah, right? absolutely. So so there's a, there's a scene in it where. Tom's character, Ethan, he, he basically, he and his motorbike part company in a very dramatic fashion. Let's just leave it at that. But to train for this, there were, there was, he did loads and loads of hours, obviously around a motorbike, which he's done before. Um, but then they, they, um, they were 
not reenacting, but pre-enacting what would happen if he goes off a cliff by hoisting him off the bike with a crane. Mm-hmm. So it had the same effect without him having to go off a cliff. It was yeah. much safer. So he could rehearse And he did this time and time and time and time again. And then he did it for real. And yeah. it, I mean, just So he was doing, you know, thousands of skydiving, you know, skydives, thousands of motocross jumps. And then he was also practicing the jump um, into a quarry in the UK on a wire so that because what he was also working out was how further he had to push his body ahead of the bike so the bike didn't get caught up in his parachute. And then also he didn't then uh, then didn't hit the, hit the hit ridge the on the way down. Yeah, and the, the, the ramp had to be of the certain height and the certain length so that he could build up speed for it. But then also at the time, they you know a few years ago, the cameras that they used on that bike had not been invented yet. Yeah. So they were working out how they could get a close-up of him doing that. And they would have, he would also time it for the jump where he could feel when the drone was coming round so he'd yeah. get a close-up. And in the end, they decided not to use his drone, didn't they? Because they went for a heli in the end. They went for a heli. And they and you can, in, in the film, when he's going to Benji, I'm trying to get away from this mountain. That's when he's in free fall. If you want to get in the mood for this film, just watch the... the I mean, you know, Tom, Tom narrates it all. It's really brilliant. It's so... The dedication and just the just the interest and enthusiasm in how can we get this right? And then he's challenged about, well, you know, CGI has been invented. He says, yeah, but it's not, it's not the same. same because there's no risk there. Yeah. Even though, the, you know, this is a make-believe character in a make-believe world and, you know, uh, sort of uh, superhumanly death-defying, the audience know that, that I've done this. Yes. And within that, there is a, obviously I've survived because the film's out and I'm doing a press tour about it. But on the day... The risk was that, and you can you can feel that, and that's why he wants us to go and see it in the cinemas because he mm. says this is a movie made for. He said, "Fine, wait till it comes uh, and you you watch it on your big screens." But it's not the same. Get yeah. to the cinema and let be be immersed, drowned in the glory <laughs> of cinematography. Yes, it's a pure cinematic experience. It's visceral. It's edge of your seat stuff. It's like that feeling when you're a kid when you first start going to the cinema and you go, "What is this world?" It's joy. <laughs> it's the best and thing. It's the best thing. Yeah. All right. So, what's it like to? What's it, I mean? I know that you've learned loads from him. Mm. Um, you know, and it's it. It sounds like we're worshiping the of Tom Cruise because we are. Because he's a master <laughs> filmmaker now. He's up there with Spielberg. Mm. Uh, what have you learned from him? Can he really do everything? Did he really do his own makeup in lockdown? <laughs> There's. Uh... There's, there's, there's not much I can imagine that he can't do. He's talking about how good he was at the dishes the other day, and uh, believe him, I think he's, <laughs> he, he's wanted to make movies since he was four years old. Yeah. And the remarkable thing about him is that he just worked towards it. Every step he took was in the direction of how can I, how can I study my craft? And so at 19, when he was making taps, he instead of going out and having fun, he did do that. But most of the time, he was going, okay, what does a focus puller do? Yeah. Let me sit in in that production meeting and work out what lenses are and how lighting affects the mood of something or how sound affects our emotional response to what we're watching. And then you've got, therefore, someone that is ultimately a student of film. I think that's the thing that I would take away from working with him. He remains a student. Yeah. He's And he really wants the industry, industry to thrive. Yeah. So he wants... He feels responsible for it. He, yeah. And it, because he's, he's, want, he's kind of... You know, when we were making this in the pandemic, the the industry was on its knees in terms of the fear of of cinemas. Yeah, would people ever go back to the cinema? Yeah, and he was like, they will, they will. We have to just do it right. We it's have up to, to us to make them want to go. Make them want to go. Make this a spectacle that they kind of they go. It's worth leaving your house and coming and having that collective experience. And he wants that for us, and so he's he dedicated his life to it. So you're four years in, and you're still yeah. going. <laughs> <laughs> I, yeah. wonder, I wonder, could you fa- can you fast forward? Do you want to fast forward and think? 
think oh, what it might be like looking back on this period of your life? It feels in some ways kind of bittersweet. You know, yeah. I, it was so intense and we there were so many obstacles coming at us in terms of, you know, obviously what the world was going through and the scale of making something like this. But it was a life-affirming one, ultimately, and a one about resilience of groups of people to coming together for the same goal of creating something for an audience. Yeah. And I think the work ethic that I've probably developed over these last four years, I want to take with me wherever I go. You know, there's such a, an enthusiasm to be part of this world. Tell us about that. T tell us about, because, you, you know, I'm sure you had an amazing work ethic before. How has it changed? How has it developed? How, how, how much more of a work ethic can one have? The, I think, the, for me, the thing that I'm discovering is the importance of having the beginner's mind. And so coming in present and aware of the new surroundings, the new people that you're in contact with, the rapport you want to create with your ensemble, working out what the script or the director is asking of you, but ultimately how you can come in and offer creative choices. And that feels a more of a collaborative, collaborative experience than sort of waiting for the phone to ring. Lucky enough, you get the part. That sort of more reductive mentality of, okay, I'll learn my lines, I'll get to my mark and I'll say it naturalistically. It For me because of my theatre background, it's all about developing a skill set and a craft that, and then I can take to the next step in every job that I do, while also going, I will never know everything, and I know nothing, so let's learn every single day. And that also keeps you, it keeps it fresh for you too. Yeah, of course it, it does. And what have you learned from the master of the the PR talk? Because everybody says he's the best, you know, you... You employ Tom Cruise, well, he employs himself now because he's obviously produces these films very well. But you employ him, you almost pay him more to, to tour the film than be in the film because he apparently he's the, there's nobody better. They say there's Tom Hanks, hmm. who's better than everybody else apart from Tom Cruise, and Tom Cruise is better than Tom Hanks. <laughs> what have you learned about selling a movie? He's, um, you know what, he's really kind. He's has impeccable manners. He'll walk in and he'll say hi to everyone and... You know, I think it's very telling about someone's character, the way that children or animals are, you know, react <laughs> and they just like flock to him. Right. There's like a wholesomeness about Tom where he's really happy to see you and yeah. it's sincere. Yeah. He's, there's a, what I love also, there's a sincerity and an earnestness about Tom that is not very British, but I love it because it's, you, he kind of makes you feel and he's very emotional about what he does because he loves it so much. And yeah. so I think the... For me, it's not so much about his ability to be kind of a machine at it, but more that he really likes meeting people yeah. and he likes, he's looking for that interaction and that human connection. Yeah. Um, and I think it's, it's, it's really nice to see. You know? It's great to see. And it's, mm. it, it seems completely genuine and sincere. I've never heard anything but that from people who've worked with him. Mm. Simon comes in here quite a lot, you know, says exactly the same thing, Simon Pegg. Yeah. So you've, you've um, you basically seen most of the world, so you get that for free if you're in a Tom Cruise <laughs> movie. You get this wonderful tour, uh, and but you're still to go to New York. Yes, and my, my dad is going to be there. Um, my dad, my my cousins, um, my best friend who's coming in from Nova Scotia, a couple of New York friends. So it's going to be a kind of a family friends screening for me. We're all going to go out for dinner afterwards. And have you premiered, has there been a red carpet at each of the places you've been to then so yeah. far? So how do they compare? Are they or are they quite similar? Because they build the same world around the cinemas for the premiere, don't they? As well. Yeah, they're all very different because they're 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 more. Um, they're more sensitive to the, the the culture and the etiquette and what kind of crowds of people want. And so, for example, I found with um, Korea the fact that they. 
they take their fandom seriously I with you love know the, the South Korea. I know, me too. They're the best. They're the best at everything at the moment. Yeah, and the skincare. Oh my god, <laughs> I got I got so many sheet masks on the way back from the airport from Korea. Oh my god, but they were they're so um they're you know the, with the K-pop culture that they have. They're very warm. They love having us there. Really enthusiastic, yeah. but then so polite during the film. They're like very quiet. You're like, why well, are they, they? They do they like this? Yeah, yeah. And then they get up at the end and they 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 applauded and they were so respectful. And then you go somewhere like, um, you know, Rome. Yeah, I was going to say, let's have, so let's have a bit of Rome. Come on, yeah. give me Rome. The, the best thing about Rome was the yeah. fact that the biggest round of applause came from whenever Italy was shown on screen. <laughs> Yeah, they were so proud. You? Yes, it is. <laughs> <laughs> and they were like chatting over each other and like getting up and getting more popcorn. But also, I mean, you do get to be better at premiers because you go to so many so quickly. Yeah. It's like when I was, uh, you know, we're looking at flats for the first time when I moved down to London. And you, the more you look and look at it in the same afternoon, the better it is because you can compare quickly as yes. opposed to looking at one every weekend. You go, I can't remember what the last one was like. Yeah. But when you get this hit of premier, so you're getting better at red carpets as yes, well. Yes, it's the momentum. I've, I've often find like I don't take a break during the day because if I sit there for an hour, yeah. I'll just get knackered. Yeah. So you and also you start going. thinking about too many things and all this kind of stuff. Yeah, and, and because you're also, there's so much stimulus coming at you. And then you're going. also kind of gauging like, oh, has this person seen it? Did they like it? And But I think what's been amazing is the responses of this film have been so incredible across the board that the atmosphere of these premieres and the press has been so enthusiastic. Yeah. So it's been so easy. So pressure's off, pressure's on, but pressure's off. Yeah. Pressure's always on. But yeah. Was but, to release the valve a little yeah, bit. Yeah, good. So it's New York still to come and where else? Tokyo. Tokyo. Oh, wow. Yeah, I mean, come on. I know. What a laugh. What a giggle. Uh, and when are you back at work? Back at work, probably <laughs> back on the 19th of July in London. So probably back on work at 20th of July. Yeah, but this is work. <laughs> the crazy thing is, this is work. Aren't we lucky? These jobs are, they do exist, people. Try and get on. It's awesome. Yeah, yeah. Um, Develop a good skill like, set. And Hayley, anything else should I say about your wonderful character, Grace or Ethan or whatever you like? I wish she was lucky enough to be able to have a hat like the one that you're currently wearing. That <laughs> Everybody, loves that. Everybody loves it's this hat. Everybody loves this. It's such a joyful hat. It uh-huh. would steal the film. It's a freebie, and it's got the sponsor's name on the side. I have to keep turning it because it's a brewery, and we're on camera now. So, <laughs> but it's um, it's great. Haley, I'm so happy for you. Um, I'm so so glad that you got to work with him, and you can tell us more about working with one of the the greatest people at their jobs in the creative arts there's ever been. Mm. Wonderful. Thank you. Wonderful. Thanks for having me. And bring on Mission Impossible: Dead Reckoning Part Two. I suppose you know Part One's got five star reviews. I suppose Part Two automatically sort of has to, doesn't it? I mean, I don't think they'll stop until it hits where it needs to hit for the right. audiences. They're so you know they know they know what works. They know what the audiences want. They're just going to improve. I think. All right, and you're in here with one of your bezies, Gabby. Roslyn. Yeah, Gabby, Gabby Roslyn's in the Gabby. house. Woo. <laughs> um, thanks for coming in. Oh, pleasure. Okay, don't be a stranger. Beautiful. Hayley Atwell. Mission Impossible so 2. Out on Monday. Dead Reckoning Part 1. Boom.